Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember to subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. This week's Fiber for Breakfast brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Wesco. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber for Breakfast. We're now in our 47th episode of 2023. Before I kick off, I'd like to thank Wesco, the platinum sponsor Fiber Breakfast, and our gold sponsor, Network Connects. You know, great news. The government did not shut down on Friday. You know, I was in D.C. last week, and there was a lot of scrambling in the House and Senate to get the stopgap temporary spending bill passed. But the federal government's now funded for a couple more months to get to the holidays. And so the deadlines for passing the full appropriation bills now are split into two dates, January 19th for some agencies and February 2nd for others. You know, I spoke at the U.S. Broadband Summit in D.C. last week, and I was thrilled with Kevin Gallagher's keynote. You know, Kevin is Gina Raimondo's right-hand man at the U.S. Department of Commerce and a good friend of FBA. You know, Kevin covered all the amazing progress that's been made since President Biden signed the bipartisan bill into law two years ago on broadband. And I really got some, also got some great quality time with our good friend, Joey Winder of the U.S. Department of Treasury. Now, Joey's responsible for the $10 billion capital projects fund, which is going extremely well. You know, Joey says that he has allocated $9 billion so far and has a billion left to spend. So if you need a billion dollars, give Joey a quick call. As you might recall, Joey's program requires uh, 100 meg by 100 meg symmetric. None of this 100 by 20. So Joey knows what he's doing. You know, as we look forward to 2024, we've had an overwhelming response to our schedule for our regional Fiber Connect Roadshore tour plan for next year. You know, we'll be in Richmond on February 8th, Little Rock on um, April 16th, in Park City on June 4th, Des Moines uh, September 10th, Albuquerque on November 7th. And then you don't want to miss the Grand Data Mall, our Fiber Connect 2024 conference in Nashville, July 28th to 31st. You know, this year it was the largest fiber broadband event in the world, and next year it's going to be even better. I'm, I'm so excited for that. So the Fiber Broadband Association is wrapping up its inaugural 2023 Fiber Deployment Cost Study Survey. This is going to be great. We've gotten a lot of great um, responses so far, but if you're able to participate, uh, please uh, find this link in the chat, or uh, you can see it on the screen here, and please um, you know, complete the survey. That brings us to today's Five for Breakfast session with Jeff Wabick, the CTO of DC Blocks, who's going to be discussing fiber and digital infrastructure growth in the Southeast, a real-life story. You know, last week on Five for Breakfast was our third episode of our Quantum series, and our guest was Marta Mori from Sapita AI, who discussed quantum technology, near-term use cases, catapulting AI competitive. And Marty did a great job of walking us through how classical and quantum computing can work together to catapult generative AI. It's absolutely amazing to see this huge paradigm shift in quantum happening right before our eyes. Fiber and quantum technologies are gonna completely change our world in a very positive way in the next few years. Today on Fire for Breakfast, our guest is Jeff Wabick, the CTO of DC Blocks is going to be discussing fiber and digital 
infrastructure growth in the Southeast, a real life story. Jeff is responsible for DC Block's strategic technology development. Since joining the company, he's managed the development and growth of its software automated multi-terabit service delivery networks, which underpin DC Block's edge connected solutions. For more than 30 years, Jeff has combined imagination, vision, and a deep technical acumen to create the next generation technologies for both startup and mature organizations. Jeff's experience includes data center network operations, embedded software development, information security, business development, and the creation of layer two switching and layer three routing platforms, including the world's first multi-gig router. Jeff's held senior technical management positions at Siena, Ascend Communications, and Lucent. Jeff graduated from University of Minnesota, go Gophers, and has a dual BA degree in computer science and geology. That's interesting. Um, his, in his free time, he is a fitness nut and a commercial instrumented, uh, instrument rated uh, pilot. You know, my mother's, uh, my 86 year old mother is a as IFR pilot. Yeah, and he's also an avid snowboarder and plays the drums and the rock and roll bands. So Jeff, welcome. And for audience, please type in your questions as we go and we'll work them into Q&A. So let's get things kicked off. Good morning, Gary. Thank you for that. Thank you for the introduction. Sounds like an introduction I wrote for myself. For myself. And it's kind of, kind of it's always interesting to hear it read, read back by somebody else. But it's great to be with you here this morning. I uh, just want to share some of the insights that we have learned and, and, and lived here at DC Blocks over the last uh, 10 years or so. So I was the uh, you know, one of the, the first I'm the longest tenured employee, I guess we'll say, at DC Blocks. Uh, 2014 is when we sat down to doodle on cocktail napkins about how we saw the universe um, expanding in front of us. And, and it was clear at the time that you know, there was a hunger for data center capacity. It was going to continue to grow. Uh, our initial focus was on what we call underserved markets in the southeast, which focused on towns like Birmingham, Alabama, and Chattanooga, Tennessee, that, that really didn't have much infrastructure. And as we moved into those, those regions, um, you know, the companion story was that, you know, it doesn't make sense to have data centers you know, they can be bulletproof. They can protect you from the storm. They can protect you from everything but a meteor falling from the sky. It doesn't make sense to have them if you don't have bulletproof, high bandwidth, low latency, infinitely reliable network connectivity that scales into, into terabits and tens and hundreds of terabits. Um, because, you know, I, I always say, you know, people are going to put their, their gear, their IT gear, it's kind of their children, right? They're gonna take their children and put it in the data center. They gotta visit frequently, right? You have to have access to that. So the DC Block story has always been about how do we provide bulletproof infrastructure? How do we provide that concrete bunker where the equipment's gonna live? And then how do we provide this brilliant, reliable internet, excuse me, network connectivity to it, which of course does also include internet connectivity. So that's really the story. And, and as we've executed on that over the last 10 years, we started small, and it's turned into a torrent, right? We see the world expanding in front of us. And so the title of this is Fiber and Digital Infrastructure Growth in the Southeast, a real life story, it's our story. I'd like to title this something a little bit different, which is the cloud is somebody else's computer and it has to live somewhere. So this is this is no surprise, right? The global trend, you know, um, the folks in marketing here have this great slide that has a bunch of words. And the words are about digital transformation and digital acceleration, and adoption of this, and adoption of that. But none of us really needs to to read those words because as you look at this page and look at the logos that are on here, and this is just a sample that I pulled out of out of my brain and out of Google in the last 24, 48 hours. You know, everybody is doing more. You know, and, and in my entire career of designing equipment, uh, when I was at Sienna and other uh, network device 
manufacturers. And now when I'm deploying these devices, you know, the story is always been more. Whatever we deploy today, a year from now, we need more. And it's all driven, you know, for us as human beings, it's pretty much all driven by this thing that we become tethered to with our lives and can't live without, right? But I've broken it down here into four quadrants because these are really the four areas that are the principal quadrants and sections of growth. In the upper left, there's business. You know, every, every business with whom we work, you know, more and more. BMW is a customer, right? And, and you know, if you have a BMW and you get it on your phone, you can check the fuel level, you can check. All this is done across the network. It's all done in big data centers. We help them with that. It's amazing, right? So every business, more and more consumer demand is greater and greater. Even if you're Wells Fargo, even if you're Exxon, UPS, I just I just pull these randomly. Not all of these guys are customers of DC Blocks, but just an example. You know, every business that we know is just demanding more and more, and their internet presence and the way they connect with their customers and their B2B partners is just you know hungry for more and more capacity and capability. Um, in the upper right-hand corner, personal, right? We all use Facebook. Sure enough, we all do, but most of us use Facebook. A lot of us use Instagram. Social media is a thing. Some people will say, not for me, not going to do it. But the reality is, probably, and I don't have metrics on this, but my guess is, in just the two or three minutes that I've been talking, there's been several million pictures that have been uploaded to Instagram or to Facebook or one of those platforms. And you have to think about what that really means, right? If I'm here in the US and I post something on Instagram and I've got a friend in Singapore, you know, that, that friend has access to that image seconds later. How did that happen? Where does it go? What data center does it live in? And what happens if that data center catches on fire and burns, right? How, how, does, how do the good folks at Meta make that work? Um, in the lower left-hand corner, Internet of Things, I don't know about you guys, but I got a couple of houses and I can control them from here. I can see what's going on inside. I can make it hotter. I can make it colder. I can see, I can set, I can start the room by the clean floors. So, you know, you guys know all this already, right? The, the global trend is going to be more and more of everything. And obviously the thing that's the buzz phrase right now, it's not clear if we're going to have Terminator 2 and 3 and, you know, the, the robots that come to destroy us all. I don't think so, right? But AI and ML are the current rage. And let's just be clear, I'm, I was joking a second ago. We are at least three revolutions in hardware technology and software technology before there's any apocalyptic thing that's going to happen with AI. AI today is an interesting tool for more and more automation to make our lives better, to help us with, with content creation, things like that. So do not believe that we are anywhere near AI and machine language or machine learning being a threat to us as a species, as a civilization. But it's interesting to see the evolution. It's also interesting to monitor the ethical concerns around that. But again, all of these things, more and more and more. And that's what we see. And that's at DC Blocks, what we're doing is part of our story. Right. So the leaders of more, right? So everybody's doing more all the time, but we find that the real leaders of more are what we call the hyperscalers. And they're shown here as, you know, Google, Meta, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon. There, there are others that are in the mix, right? But these, these are the behemoths in the space. And these are the principal drivers of growth and capacity. You know, their impact is that they are serving, if you remember the previous slide, every quadrant of more, right? A lot of these guys have purchased the IoT devices, they're certainly expanding the rate at which they provide uh, compute and storage and whatnot to business. They drive all our social media needs. Yeah, I don't know about you guys, but I barely go shopping anymore. I don't, I don't believe, because I don't believe in it, right? But I don't like to get in the car and drive through Atlanta traffic to get to the store and be really irritated when I get there. I can just walk into Amazon and whatever I want is at my front door tomorrow, maybe this afternoon if I pay the $2.99 or whatever it is, right? But the hyperscalers are driving everything and they are growing their footprint and their ecosystems like wildfire and we've had the good fortune of having some of these folks you know 
the, the press releases are out. You know, Google and Meta are our customers. We're doing some really cool things for them. I'll talk about that in a second. But they are bringing scale to everything. They are consuming gigawatts and gigawatts of electricity, taxing the power grid, right? And you like to think that, you know, everybody at the Tesla or everybody with their electric cars taxing the power grid, and that's happening also, right? But these guys are wanting data centers that consume 300, 600, or 1.2 gigawatts, excuse me, 300 megawatts, 600 megawatts, or 1.2 gigawatts of electricity just as a metric. A megawatt is enough power to generally power about 750 homes. So when you think about 1.2 gigawatts just in a data center that's roughly the size of sort of three football fields, you know, it's an interesting, it's an interesting situation, right? So you've got this building, you've got to plumb all this power to it. Where did the power come from? How do you get the heat out? And, and this is what we do with DC blocks is build this, right? So these guys are scaling, 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 more and more compute, more and more power consumption, taxing the power grid. We're continuously in negotiations with the power providers to help understand or to work with them to understand how we can get the power, right? But then companion to this, of course, is all those data centers, all that compute, all that storage doesn't mean anything if you can't get to it across the network and have access to it, right? So one of the things that we see is that the telco design networks of the past, whether it was AT&T, whether it was Verizon, they do a great job making sure that my phone works every day. You know, a lot of the terrestrial networks were built by those guys. And they're still, you know, and they're critically still important in the ecosystem of connectivity around the country, around the continent, right? But what we see is that these hyperscalers actually become their own telecoms. So one of the things that we're doing and working with these guys right now is terminating, for example, their trans-oceanic cables as they come on shore. Uh, we're doing dark fiber routes for them between point A and point B. We'll talk about that in a couple minutes. So they're buying fiber, not in pair, you know, not in a pair, they're buying 432s of fiber, right? And I don't know how they plan to light them up. That seems like an awful lot of capacity, especially if you think about the latest generation of the Sienna box, which can do 1.6 terabits per wavelength, you know, on, on a pair, right? Full duplex. So a lot of capacity, but they become their own telecoms in a lot of ways, right? Still rely on the the previous generations of telcos to make things work but these guys are doing their own thing and i have no idea what their budget is quite honestly but it's not in the millions it's got to be in the billions as i see what they're doing so it's pretty cool so gary you know what, what do you think about this gary so far well you know this is pretty amazing you know when you think about um storage you know what a couple decades ago we started seeing the introduction of virtual machines and just really you know taking all our stranded capacity and being able to centralize that uh, you know Kind of how are things evolving there in the data center? I mean, in terms of storage. In storage, and just you know, also think about latency, and you know, you can have these big data centers, but you know, as we start to one worry about secure communications, and how do you, you know do we start to need to have CDNs and things like that? You know, you know, when we really need to be able to get things to people quickly and have really low latency and start to get into these other applications. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, I think it's, it's a bullet on a slide coming up and you kind of jumped the question a little bit, but it's okay, right? So, um, you know, powering more, actually flip the next slide. So, so powering more is a complex equation. There's a lot of components that all have to work in harmony to get that done. You mentioned security, you mentioned reliability, you mentioned storage, you mentioned compute, and, and it's different for everybody, right? And one of the things we're seeing with AI right now is that it is a CPU pig, but not necessarily a storage pig, right? If you think about things like Instagram, you know, I'm not sure, I don't have the statistics from Meta, right? I don't know exactly 
what kind of storage requirements they have. You know, I know what my iCloud usage is, right, personally. Um, but some applications are compute intensive, like AI. Um, some applications are storage intensive, more like social media, where, you know, once you post it, it's there for life and it gets propagated around the planet. Obviously, you know, a huge component to get this again is the connectivity. Without connectivity, you know, that's the water that floats all the boats, right? You have to have access to it ubiquitously around the world. It has to be reliable. So the, the reason I think that we got, the DC blocks got engaged so well with a lot of these hyperscalers is that our focus for very, since, since day one, was to provide what we call the edge connected data center. The idea has always been get the data closer to the eyeballs so you improve the user experience. And, and it becomes, subjective to think about you know what improving the user experience actually means but you know is it less network congestion uh, congestion is it lower latency i don't know what it is latency i'm not sure so much matters in some of these human interactions you know if my uber arrives three seconds later am i going to notice um if my email arrives three seconds seconds later i'm going to notice but certainly but for a machine netflix or any hulu or whatever all these things right they that that has to be you know at the edge yeah, yeah, right. So, but again, you're pushing that content to the edge, keeping network congestion low, because, you know, network utilization is, you know, it, it's the standard sort of Moore's law curve of everything doubling every 18 months. You know, network congestion is an issue if we, if we didn't relieve some of the pressure by building, what well, again, these edge-connected data centers. And this is what we see the hyperscalers doing, building more and more data centers scattered everywhere. And there's two reasons for that, right? One, get the information closer to the eyeballs. Number two, have even greater resilience. Right? When I post this picture to Instagram, when I post this image to Facebook, whatever it is, it doesn't get stored in one data center. I literally do not know what their algorithm is, but you know it is stored in many data centers in their ecosystem around the planet. You got to get it there. So wherever you are, like I mentioned earlier, if I, if I post on Instagram and I've got a friend in Singapore, well, he gets from the data center in Singapore. He doesn't come across the ocean back in the U.S. Though, to, to wherever I was to pick it up. So all of these things are in play. And in network security, it sort of is what it is, right? And I think everything is sort of SSL encrypted right now at the application layer. It's kind of hard to put a fiber grading or put a fiber tap on fiber that's buried underground without having some indication on the transport system. So your security is obviously a key critical component of all this, whether it's physical security of the data center or protecting the networks as best we can. But at some point, you know, that fiber does run underground. Trains run off the track and cut the fiber, which is the reason, of course, that we do multiple redundant protected paths that go everywhere in a big mesh. So we can lose a fiber, we can lose an ILA cut, we can lose a data center, and the world sort of generally doesn't know. So you know, more powering more is a complicated equation. It takes all the things that are listed here. Connectivity, of course, is key critical among them, but you know, it's like any symbiosis, right? Can't have A without B. Gotta have the data center, gotta have the data, gotta have a way to get it to where it needs to be, have to have a way to consume. So that was I'm not sure if that was a confusing yeah. answer to your question or a succinct answer to your question, but it was an answer. What do you think? What about, uh, I remember back in the day when, you know, we started moving to the whole cloud infrastructure and international borders was an issue. Is that no longer a thing? I mean, we can just move data and, and store things anywhere and globally. So, you know, I don't have a lot of visibility to understanding what constraints there are for international borders. I can tell you that, you know, I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but we just completed a, a cable landing station. Um, in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, that will service, at least initially, Google and Meta. You know, there's two Google cables. One goes to South America, one goes to Portugal. Uh, the Meta cable goes from, from Myrtle Beach to Spain. Now, I don't, I don't know what legal hoops or hurdles they had to pass through organizationally to have that be okay. Right? You know, we're kind of in the infrastructure piece of this, and we've got our own challenges of just making 
getting getting the cable out of the ocean, terminating it on the ground, you know, managing managing all that, and having it go you know, once it gets to the continent, have all that data spit out to where it needs to go. Um, so I'm not sure what legal and regulatory issues they have, either domestically or internationally, to get that done. Um, now you make me feel like I should ask them that question next time I have them on the phone because it's a good one. I, I apologize. All right. So let's, uh, if you're okay, let's move on to the next uh, the next slide. Um, this is just a, a little bit about what's happening here in Atlanta. So the, the, the title of the talk right was, you know, sort of our story in the Southeast. Um, this is just some metrics on what we see happening in Atlanta right now, just market absorption. You know, prior to 2020, you'd see absorption of 10 to 12 megawatts um, per year. You know, 2022, 97. So a huge, a huge jump. Not sure if that was COVID related or not, but certainly COVID did change our lives in a number of ways. I don't know about you guys. I'm in the office today. I'm not sure I really like being in the office. It seems like I kill an hour on the freeway getting here. Or I can actually get here. Yeah, I'm one of the few guys in Atlanta that can actually get on the subway and get from home to work and from home to the airport. I'm not sure everybody can do that, but so I prefer to work from home. And when I can, it's good to be here at the office, but you know, we're certainly burning a lot more everything these days by being remote. Uh, but if you look at what happened just in the first half of 2023, right, a huge jump again. So in the, just this is just Atlanta, right? This is not the other major markets in the country or in the world. But this is the sort of growth that we see here in the Southeast. And, it, and it's taxing us and it's ta taxing the power grid and it's taxing a lot of things. But, you know, we're, we're, we're slogging through this because it really is a new choice. We live in a digital, digital world right now. And we're not slowing down and we're not going to slow down. So I'm not going to read through this, but you can, you can see that everything is just growing sort of exponentially. And it actually makes it kind of fun. It actually makes it very fun, right, to, to see the next hurdle and understand it knock it down. So let's move on to the next slide. I just wanted to show you, I wanted to show you this as a graphic. Uh, again, we're real excited to have just done a grand opening of our, our cable landing station in Myrtle Beach. I believe it was back on October 10th. Um, you know, Google and Meta are, are busily right now activating their, their ecosystems there. But, you know, we all use our phones. We all know that we can speak to people all over the planet. Uh, and I think most of the people who are on this this webinar today already know this, but I think it's really fun to just look at this map. This is a map of the currently deployed subsea cables which send information between the continents, right? And and you know I say this to my mother, I said, "Mom, did you ever think about how you talk to your friends in, in Europe?" She goes, "Oh, I don't know. How does that happen?" It's like, well, you know, it's got to it's got to get to the ocean. A lot of people think, you know, and nobody on this conference for sure, but a lot of folks think, "Well, doesn't it bounce off the side?" Doesn't do some other way, you know. The latency would be insanity, right? So it's really interesting to look at this map just to see where the cables go. And I tell you what, uh, there's a few ships that are out there laying more and more cables. They are busy. They're booked up for the next several decades, right? And laying more of these cables. So I don't know. I'm not going to talk about this a lot more, but it's just really interesting to see how we are now a planet that is connected, right? You know, 100. And I think about where we were 100 years ago versus this. It's it's crazy, but it's it's a beautiful. All right, let's move on. I don't want to go past my, my talking time here because once, once a very long time ago, a friend told me that my worst quality is that I can take a long story and make it longer. So let's see if I can try to avoid that today. But uh, so, you know, back on networking, 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 networking. I'm a network nerd. I've been a network nerd my whole life. I did have a degree in geology, as you pointed out, but I just, I just look at rocks now. They look like rocks to me. I used to know where they came from. I'm not sure I do anymore. But I've been doing networks for a very, very long time. That's really exciting to see the, the growth and the scale and the way everything is happening in, in that ecosystem, whether it's a physical layer, whether it's routing, whether it's pushing, whether it's transporting. I was at Siena for 10, 11 years, and the great opportunity to work with, with those guys there, I think, build world-class equipment, still build world-class equipment. 
and, and just to see how the growth, right? When I, I remember when I was at CNN, we were trying to figure out how to do, you know, a terabit, excuse me, uh, not a terabit, but like 100, excuse me, 100 gigabits, right? And now, you know, the line systems are 1.6 terabit. Uh, uh, I forget how many wavelengths it is, 42 or 44 or something like that. Yeah, Steve Alexander came on Fire for Breakfast and he was showing it in the palm of his hand, you know, you can do um, multi-terabit, you know. Mm -hmm. so I, had, I had the great opportunity to work. So Steve's the CTO, I worked for Steve for eight of the 10 years or eight or 11 years I was at CNN. Steve's a genius. Steve, if you're out there, I love you. You're amazing. Thank you, thank you so much for everything. Um, but the fiber network is everything for everybody. This is just a picture of our network. Um, you know, the way we've grown it here in the Southeast and, and more, more to come, right? Now we have acquired some assets of a company called LightSource, the fiber assets we brought them in. So we've been a data center company, just building data centers, um, you know, leasing some dark fiber, IRUing some dark fiber, getting some AT&T circuits here and there. And then suddenly we're building cable landing stations. Suddenly we're now a fiber, you know, we're doing construction, we're putting fiber in the ground, getting all those permits, building ILA huts. Building ILA huts has been the bane of my existence for the last 12 months, but lots of good things um, I've learned from that. But this is just a picture of our, our network ways today, the things that it touches. But you know, again, the network, the network and connectivity is, is sort of everything, right? And exciting to see again how it grows. And this is sort of like the shameless self-promotion slide that everybody has to insert at the end, right? So we talked about this. I think I'm going to blaze through it. But, you know, DC Blocks has been blessed to have some really amazing opportunities and we've executed on well. We're going to continue to do that. The company's growing. So much fun to have new people coming on board all the time to help us meet the challenges of our customers and, and the ecosystem, the, the planet, the connected planet we live in or live in. But we've got, you know, edge-connected data centers that continue to grow, um, you know, cable landing station in Myrtle Beach, possibly more on the way, right? Um, fiber networks that we're putting in the ground by ourselves. Uh, the one that we're working on right now, going to complete it here by the end of the year, is 465 miles from Myrtle Beach to to Metro Atlanta over here in Lucky Springs, about 20 miles that way. And uh, we've got some other hyperscale-ready properties, uh, you know, in proximity, right? So one in South Carolina, a couple in Georgia. You know, these properties are capable of supporting hundreds of megawatts of power. And then it turns into that exercise. You have to think about like how how an aircraft carrier is built. You know, can't waste an inch of space in those things because space is at a premium. Same in these data centers, right? You know, every square inch matters, and then getting the power in. And you know, I want you to think about how you cool 1.2 gigawatts of, uh, of power that's just burned in a building like this. So some interesting challenges. But this is sort of the shameless self-promotion slide, and uh, we're proud so of let it. Let me ask you this. Um, yeah. So it's interesting that your edge data centers are in the hottest-growing cities in the southeast. So is it yeah. because you put a data center in there that their economic <laughs> development's gone crazy, or did is their economic development gone crazy and you guys decide to go there? Well, you know, it's 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 symbiosis, right? So you know, we built again. We when we came to the southeast, we're we're, we're a small company. It was three of us that got this thing started, right? Um, I think we got some seed money, and then we got fifteen million dollars one five, you know, which is you know, a, a large fries at McDonald's kind of cost that much anymore, right? Um, but we decided that we needed to build our first data centers in what we called underserved markets. So we looked around, and the first the first data center we built was in Chattanooga. Um, there were some data center light things going on there, right? But there was no data center proper. So we went in there, and not sure, not honestly, not sure what we were going to find, right? Because you know, sales forecasts are always the most, you know, military secrets, and sales sales forecasts are the most fleeting things on the planet, right? But you know, sales guys, oh, I can sell, I can sell. And um, so we took the data center in Chattanooga, boom, before you knew it, Huntsville, right? We did the same thing in Huntsville, did the same thing in Birmingham, did the same thing in Greenville. Um, and, and this is what we've seen. So, you know, it, it, it takes a village, right? You don't, you don't just build a data center and magically towns come alive. 
but it really so, speaks to the pent up. It, it speaks to the pent up demand, right? There, there's a demand for everything that was on. Make slide one. If the four quadrants, all the growth, the business, the personal, the internet of things, the AI, ML, that's happening everywhere. It's happening everywhere on planet Earth. And we were just fortunate enough to be able to go and help some communities that didn't have that ecosystem in place. So Chattanooga now has the world's first quantum network. Are you guys figuring a way to take advantage of that? Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm embarrassed to admit that I'm not sure exactly what that is in this context. Can you say yeah, more about that? by EPB and they'll give you a tour of the quantum network. So when you're there next time in Chattanooga. EPB is a great customer. Um, I look forward to doing that. And candidly, I have been underwater uh, the last 12 months working on the cable landing station, working on the dark fiber route, working on these ILAs that we have to place along the way. Um, so I'm, I'm a little bit disconnected from some of the other exciting things going on. I apologize for that. So, all right. And I think that was it. I think the next slide says thank you and our other questions. So that's, I don't know if I kept my 18 minutes probably. Well, yeah, let me just, uh, we have time for one question. I just, you know, there's two things going on here, right? So we've had this tre tremendous growth and uh, connectivity and data centers and so forth. Is that going to continue on and, you know, just continue to go, uh, we need the curve? Or is this, you know, whole thing with inflation and high interest rates and everything going to kind of chill that? Um, I can tell you that what we see is not a linear growth like this. I, mean, I can't make a hockey stick with my arm. Right. But we're, we're seeing growth that looks you know, exponential or logarithmic in these spaces. And, you know, I, I, I think that COVID changed a lot of the way we live and work. Uh, I think just the, the, the better, the better solutions that are available, better apps, better phones, better networks, better data centers, more capacity. All of this is just turned into, you know, if you think about how, how a nuclear fission happens, right? You know, the electrons fly and they smash in the, you know, the next two. Now that, that seems to be what's happening, right? So right now, uh, what we see is, we, what we expected was growth like this. Yeah, we, yeah, is it, it's, it's hope, it's fear, it's what you, what you think you might get, right? And what we're seeing instead is just this crazy slope of demand. Again, largely, I think on slide three or four, whatever it was driven by the hyperscalers. And, and those are the guys, right, that have their fingers on the pulse of what all of us are doing, literally and figuratively. They know what I had for breakfast, right? They know what I've been shopping for. They know all of those things, right? But they have their fingers on the pulse, and what we see from them is just hunger. So I don't think it's slowing down. I think, if anything, you know, the cost of gasoline, the cost of a new vehicle um, is making people stay home, right? And and use this, this fabulous, global, connected mesh of, of applications and solutions um, where we can sort of get anything done at our fingertips. And like I said, Happy to come to the office. We have some really great meetings here, but you know, if I can stay at home and be more productive, yeah. do it. So that's what I see. Well, I mean, I'm amazed that like storage. I have the the biggest data, you know, um, storage on my phone possible. Yet, you know, I'm a book guy, so I always try to cover at least 50 books a year, and I have to keep moving my books to the cloud because I'm running out of storage on my phone. So it's. Well, it's I, great. I, I have a fun story too. So it's like in, in the early 90s, I, I worked. Just, just at a university, uh, I worked for an organization called the Minnesota Supercomputer Center. And this was a branch of the University of Minnesota. Um, I went and did network stuff for them, uh, connecting Cray supercomputers together. Uh, there's a company called ETA, there's a Thinking Machines, there's you know, all, all those classic sort of supercomputers that were vector, scalar, monolithic, right? And you know, one of them was liquid nitrogen cooled. We had a liquid liquid nitrogen plant in the facility. We used to like, you know, freeze bananas and smash them with a hammer. It's pretty cool. But, you're supposed to use that liquid nitrogen to keep these big boards cool. 
um, one of the Cray systems, I think it was the Cray 2, um, it was there's a fluid called Foreigner, which is a liquid, non-conductive, that you'd actually submerge the, the CPU boards in to keep them cool, right? And those things cost millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. And they have sort of one one hundredth the capacity <laughs> of this thing I'm holding in my hand. And you know, this was this is the 15, so it cost me like twelve hundred bucks, which is kind of expensive, right? But still, you know, it's hundreds of millions of dollars to get this done. Yeah. Just 30 years, it's 30 years ago. It's not like 80 years ago, it's 30. So well, next you know, time you're in Huntsville, go to the Space and Rocket Center. And when you look at the technology they use to put a man on the moon, it's just that's scary. Those guys, you know, had great slide rules. They were pretty smart dudes, but um, yeah. All right. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for your insights and knowledge on data centers with respect to fiber and digital infrastructure growth. This is really interesting stuff. Appreciate what you guys are doing. Um, yeah. And I want to thank everybody for joining us today. Look forward to get together next Wednesday. We're going to have Mike O'Day, the Chief Technology Officer at Corning Optical Communications. He's going to be discussing artificial intelligence powered by fiber-rich networks. So you're not going to want to miss that. So I hope everybody has a wonderful Thanksgiving. Um, great holidays, and uh, we'll see you guys next Wednesday. Thanks, everyone.